You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn to Proverbs chapter 12, we're continuing on in a section of Proverbs where we have a loose collection of various wise sayings from King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, telling us uh, how to live a life of skill. And so we begin this loose collection uh, today in Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. So rather straightforward from Solomon. Now that word stupid means brutish, like a an animal, a dumb animal. So what in one sense what he's announcing is it's human to receive correction it's animalistic to reject it but reject it but it is very human to receive it humans ought to be learning we ought to receive we ought to grow but someone who hates reproof or hates correction is actually behaving more like an animal than like a human A good man, verse 2, obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he uh, condemns. In the the Proverbs, many words are used to describe the righteous person and the wise person. We have words like upright and blameless, trustworthy, generous, prudent, truthful. Here you just have a good man. Uh, versus the man of evil devices. And the good man obtains favor from God. No one, verse 3, is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. Uh, the word established uh, is also translated stable or firm footing or made secure. And there's something about a righteous life that actually leads to stability here in this world, an established life. You're not uprooted and all over the place, but you are established before God. Your life is secure, partly as a result of that righteous living. No one is established by wickedness. A wicked life uh, leads you to never really being able to have a good foundation because all of that wickedness is going to catch up with you some way and somehow. An excellent wife, verse 4, is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. And so here we have for a wife, character being held out once again. Now, of course, we remember that Solomon is primarily speaking to his sons when he has a particular audience in mind. And as he speaks to his sons, he wants to speak to them about the selection of a wife that they will make at some point in their lives, Lord willing. And he says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. In other words, if she is a woman of character and not a woman who brings shame, then she will be like a crown for you rather than the woman who brings shame being like one who brings rottenness into your bones or inner pain into your life. And of course, for us in looking at this proverb, we would understand that if the Lord calls us to be a married 
person, if we choose to marry, then we should desire more than anything to be a blessing to our spouse by continually growing in our walks and our relationship with Jesus Christ. My bride, Christina, is so amazing when it comes to just continually growing and working on her relationship with the Lord and developing her faith. And it is such a blessing to me to be married to a woman of such high character and caliber. The thoughts, verse 5, of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. So the counsels of the wicked, this of course is a thing. Uh, Their motivation is not pure in the advice that they give, and so there is deceit behind it. The wicked, verse 7, are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Uh, Building a home for the Lord and a family for the Lord has to include a life of righteousness. The house of the righteous, he says, will stand. And, you know, if you're a parent or if you are the head of a household or if you are Uh, you know, uh, taking care of a family in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Righteousness goes a long way to building a home for Jesus. Uh, Because in wickedness, you are constantly compromising the very spiritual foundation of the home that you are building. And that compromise will lead to the things that are built upon it being less than stable. But the house of the righteous is being built upon good principles and uh, the absolute truth of God's word. And that righteous life builds a good foundation for all that is built upon it. A man, verse 8, is commended according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. Now, the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that even though for so many of us we've been exposed to things and seen things and we have committed sins that have twisted our minds, the gospel of Jesus Christ can renew our minds and the twisted mind can be reversed by the wisdom of God's word. Better, verse 9, to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. So you have a man who is acting like he's something wonderful and great when in reality he's impoverished. And you have a man who has servants but actually acts and behaves lowly. And I think we've seen in life that the best leaders behave with humility. Whoever, verse 10, is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. In other words, what he's saying here is that the righteous is kind to his livestock and the righteous is kind to his pets. In other words, he is willing to look at all of God's creation 
and to care for it and to steward it. Uh, in one sense, he's going back to the way that God created us originally to have dominion over the created order. And that dominion wasn't to be a dominion of brutality, but of stewardship. And he looks at his beasts who are working for him or even his pets who are bringing pleasure to him and he is caring for them. Literally, this means he knows the soul of his beast. And in ancient Israel, this was the way that they would operate uh, laws such as you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain were helpful to the people of Israel in setting parameters that would help them to care for the animals that were being used by them. Whoever, verse 11, works his land will have plenty of bread But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Whoever, verse 12, is wicked, covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. You have some people who will work hard, and then you have others who focus on fantasies and get-rich-quick schemes. And it is far better, according to Solomon, to just work hard and to grow our own fruit. Not to get into shortcuts, but to be a diligent person. And of course, the shortcutting temptation is found in every area of life. It is good for us to take up our cross and follow Jesus and work diligently and and hard in each and every category that God puts in front of us. An evil man, verse 13, is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. The fruit of his mouth, from the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, but the work of a man's hands come back to him. The truth is that your mouth can be a great friend to you. It can commit you to the right things. It can keep you from committing to the wrong things. It can keep your calendar full of margin. It can keep your checkbook full of margin, your bank account. It can keep full of space with the fruit of your mouth, the commitments that you make. You can impart life to others with your mouth. You can direct affairs with your mouth. You can be bound to others with your heart by using your mouth. The fruit of a man's mouth can be satisfied with good. The way of a fool, verse 15, is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. And so again, we have a proverb dealing with the wise man being able to discern between advice and insult. Some people say that there's a grain of truth in every insult. And uh, that actually isn't in the Bible. Sometimes they are just insults. And the wise man is able to discern what is advice, but he's also able to ignore an insult. He doesn't get down into it and become overwhelmed by it and give too much attention to it. He's able to prudently ignore the insult when it comes his direction, knowing that it's just an insult and is coming from an unhealthy place. Verse 17, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Now, in the New Testament, we are told that the tongue is like a fire that can is full of a world of iniquity. And here you see a man who uses his tongue like a sword and creates wounds with his mouth. Uh, but truthful lips, lips that speak the truth and hold to the truth and do not slander, they will endure for a moment. Deceit, verse, or excuse me, endure uh, forever, but lying, a lying tongue is for a moment. Deceit, verse 20, is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. In other words, deceit just becomes who the evil are. It is in their heart. And when you give yourself to lying, it just becomes who you are over time. You start out lying, and of course that makes you a liar, but eventually you are just operating from a position of being a liar. You lose control of it completely. No ill, verse 21, befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, verse 22, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Again, the Lord seeing the acts of our lives even in secret. A prudent man, verse 23, conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Now, this is a fascinating concept for uh, any culture that is sharing or perhaps oversharing information about their own lives or continually reporting on this is what I'm doing or this is what I'm about. A prudent man, he says, conceals knowledge. The hand, verse 24, of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Anxiety, verse 25, and a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Haven't we discovered that to be true so often, that your heart will weigh you down. Anxiety in your heart will weigh you down. And there will just be this heaviness uh, about you. But a good word, whether it's from the word of God or whether it's a text message that someone sends to you or a little note that someone leaves to you or a word even just from the Holy Spirit just speaking to you, a word of affirmation or approval or direction, a good word can lift a man's heart and make him glad. One, verse 26, who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of wick, of the wicked leads them astray. Uh, the other translations indicate to us that there is a selection process here concerning our friends. Uh, the New King James Version says the righteous should choose his friends carefully. And so this has to do with the way that we treat our neighbor or our friends and the way that we choose our neighbors and our friends. It's something for us to consider seriously and uh, because that is a massive decision in your life, the people that you will surround yourself with. Whoever, verse 27, is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. To me, the lack of roasting the game that he hunted for speaks to me of 
incomplete projects, starting out on a venture, but never finishing, never completing. But the diligent man, he keeps on going and eventually sees the precious wealth. In the path, verse 28, of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. The NIV says, in the way of righteousness there is life, along that path is immortality. Now, in chapter 13, he continues this scattering of wise sayings, and we'll read through it and comment on most of them. A wise son, verse 1, hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. So at first, a wise son begins with instruction, but eventually this has to turn into rebuke for a scoffer if the initial instruction is not received. In other words, none of the instruction is getting through, so all that's left is rebuke. From the fruit, verse 2, of his mouth, a man eats what is good. But the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Some people say you are what you eat. That's not what's being communicated here. But you are going to eat what you say is more what Solomon is communicating here. That if you open wide your lips, you're going to eat the things that you say. From the fruit of your mouth or the stuff that you say, you will eat what is good. Uh, So watching your lips, watching your mouth, getting control of the tongue. The soul, verse 4, of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So we are told quite often that we should just follow our dreams. Well, here he says the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. It's one thing to have a dream or a craving. It's another thing to do something about it. And here he says the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Take that dream or that vision that God perhaps has placed within your heart and backtrack and discover what steps will I need to go through to get to that point. The diligent person is richly supplied. The righteous, verse 5, hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. So again, shame and disgrace flow from the falsehood of the wicked. Now this one's fascinating to me in verse 7 of chapter 13. One pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. Now you have two different men who are pretending to be something. One is pretending to be rich yet he has uh, nothing. Now, this uh, probably is easy for us to understand. Uh, someone who's impoverished, perhaps through embarrassment uh, or perhaps through some other motivation, perhaps to receive uh, attention or uh, adoration or some type of honor, something, they actually pretend to be wealthy. And so they're saving face or they're trying to, trying to get some type of social standing by feigning wealth. So you have different motivations, some of them uh, worser than the others. 
Uh, but then you have this second man. He pretends to be poor, yet he has great wealth. Now, this is interesting because here you have a wealthy person saving face by feigning poverty rather than the other way around. Perhaps there you have a wealthy person who maybe doesn't want to be known as wealthy because the second you're known as a wealthy person, you have a little bit of a target on your back of people maybe making requests or thinking certain things of you or being judgmental about you and your decision making or things like that. Uh, But they, for whatever reason, feign their uh, poverty or perhaps, and I've seen this before, the reason that they're feigning their poverty is because, well, it's more in vogue to be a poor person uh, and not to be materially tied up. But the reality is they're wealthy, uh, however they might act. The point that Solomon seems to be making here is that we must be unapologetically ourselves, that we should be unpretentious, that we should be honest about who we are. We don't need to flaunt uh, our wealth. We don't need to flaunt our poverty. We need to be the person that God has made us to be. The ransom, verse 8, of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. Now, one advantage he's saying here of being poor is that no one will kidnap you. Another way of saying this, of course, is that when you are in poverty, there is a certain element of people leaving you alone in a positive sense. In other words, a man who is wealthy, he can pay a ransom with his wealth, but he's actually going to hear a threat. Uh, He's going to be persecuted. He's going to be hit up, so to speak, and requests will be made uh, of him. And this seems to be so often the case that the rich are exposed to many uh, legal uh, assaults, and they have to use their wealth as a ransom to get out of them. The light, verse 9, of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Now, Here, the light and the lamp refer to physical life. So, the righteous person, their physical life rejoices, but the wicked person, their physical life is eventually put out as a result of the unrighteous life that they have lived. And of course, this for us is ultimately fulfilled in the resurrection of the dead with Jesus at his coming. He is the first fruits of those who have died in Christ, but a day is coming where we also who are in him will rise with him in glory. By insolence, verse 10, comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. So a rude and disrespectful behavior is a version of pride that produces contempt for the opinions and advice of others. Wealth, verse 11, gain hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Uh, It's interesting, so many are looking for that hastily gained wealth or illegitimately gotten wealth. But just to little by little gather and store up and put away is actually the more normal and godly path. Hope, verse 12, deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. 
Uh, it can be discouraging or heart-sickening, Solomon is saying, to never see a hope fulfilled. But life flows when that desire does come to pass. And one of the things that I think believers we could easily grow in, at least I know this in my own life, is to have more patience and comfort and compassion flowing from my heart to those who have a hope that has been deferred uh, in their lives uh, because it's a painful thing to endure, to have something that you long for and desire that just does not come to pass. Whoever, verse 13, despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. So you have one who despises the word of God, and you have another who reveres the commandment. And we are to be people who revere and love the word of God. In everything, verse 16, the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. And so here, everything refers to the fact that a prudent life influences all of life. A wicked messenger, verse 17, falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. And so what Solomon is highlighting here is the quality of the messenger, maybe in diplomacy, because he talks about a faithful envoy, but every modern form of communication that we have has really magnified this proverb. Uh, a wicked messenger falls into trouble. You want to be a good messenger, a faithful messenger in everything that you communicate. Poverty, verse 18, and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. This is, speaks of the rejection of discipline once again. A desire fulfilled, verse 19, this is very similar to verse 12, is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. So a fulfilled hope is sweet, but fools, he's saying, just can't get there because they continue on in sin. In other words, the hope is always out there and is never realized by the fool. So one of the things that keeps you from having your hopes fulfilled is sin. Whoever, verse 20, walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And what he's saying here is that we must be a people who examine who is influencing us. Who, who around you is speaking into your life? Who are you leaning on? Who are you building your life to be like? Who are you imitating. Disaster, verse 21, pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. A good man, verse 22, leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. So here you have a really good man. He's so blessed that he helps his grandchildren by including them in his will. He leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And really, if you think about it, this can be uh, realized in an actual literal inheritance. But if you also think about it, so often uh, a man will rise up and overcome perhaps what he was born into and 
set up a new foundation for his family in the future generations to build upon. An opportunity for his children that will lead to opportunity for his grandchildren if he becomes an overcomer himself. And so a good man, he is able to leave an inheritance to his children's children. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food. There's a lot of potential there. But it is swept away through injustice. So the poor, uh, he, you know, could yield a lot of fruit, uh, food. And sometimes the poverty is there because of uh, laziness or something like that. But that is not the emphasis that Solomon makes here in verse 23. The emphasis is simple. It is injustice that so easily sweeps away the potential food that the poor would be able to yield from their ground. It is not their fault. It is the fact that they are in a low position where they are indefensible against the injustices of this world. And so much of the planet it falls under the uh, category here of verse 23. Whoever, verse 24, spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, in the book of Proverbs, there a rod is sometimes mentioned regarding uh, discipline of children, but discipline consistently is always mentioned. And the reality is that children are not born as a finished product. They need their parents to discipline them, to shape them, to come up with a system of what is right and what is wrong and a system of discipline and correction when the rules of the family are broken. And a parent must bear the responsibility of disciplining their children. We need to put away from our minds the concept that we are not to say no to our children, not to discipline our children. That must be put out of our minds. And so often when a person adopts that particular perspective, it's because they've forgotten that mankind is basically evil and not basically good. Our human nature is fallen and broken and under sin and depraved. And so it is good for a parent to bring discipline into the lives of their children. The righteous, verse 25, has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. When you walk with the Lord, you are satisfied. As David said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. When the Lord is your shepherd, you become a satisfied individual. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.